0: Good morning, everybody. So great to be back. Uh, today, Be'zat Hashem, will be learning Daf Yud Aleph 11 in P'sachim. Uh, we had a Mishnah on Yudav and Bez. I welcome, I have a dear friend from Orthodox school, Dr. TJ Albert Shlita, who, says, who became a, a little bit addicted to this podcast. So if you hear a little bit more English, uh, his Aramaic is rusty. Uh, TJ, it's not hummus It's chametz Chametz TJ loves hummus But chametz is uh, That which we seek and destroy In anticipation of Pesach Because we can't have that leavened bread So The Mishnah We'll say it outside We had our very first Mishnah In Pesachim Obviously said That the time for Badika Is Orla Abbasar Everything was good That the night before Pesach We're going to start uh, Seeking and searching out This chametz all of a sudden we had a Mishnah at the end of yesterday that punctuated uh, a dispute about three different times when you're searching for chametz. What is going on here? I'll say it real quick, just the Mishnah, and then we'll explain it. So Rabbi Huda says, the Rabbi Huda says, it sounds like from the Mishnah, like you're checking three different times, that you check the night before P- Pesach, and then the morning before Pesach, and then right when you're supposed to burn it, because as we know, we're supposed to burn it in the middle of Erev Pesach and Pesach Eve. And the Chachamim say, they dispute this idea of Rabbi Yehuda, and they say that if, in a different formulation, in a different language, that if you didn't check it the night before, then you should check it on the morning, it sounds like, and then if you didn't check it during on the day before pesach then you should check it during pesach moed. and then if you didn't check it during pesach moed, then you should check yivdok moed. this unbelievable idea that it sounds in the simple reading of the mishnah that if you didn't check throughout the entirety of pesach then you're still going to go and try to check for those chametz after pesach can you imagine you're after pesach you're coming home and you're seeing some guy with his candle and feather seeking out chametz. Now Rashi can't believe that that's what the Mishnah means. And already on the Mishnah, Rashi says, no, this is not really talking about, right, uh, before Pesach, during and after Pesach. All of these are just references to uh, points of time on Erev Pesach. But that's not the simple reading of what the, the Mishnah seems to say. Um, but in the end, we all, what ends up happening is the Gemara explains the Mishnah, and the Gemara ends up straightening it out. It says, first of all, according to Rashi, even already in the Mishnah, the Machlokas, the dispute seems to be um, more in the area as the Gemara eventually straightens out, which is that both of them are talking in a situation of what? Where it was not checked. So this all formulation of lo badak, lo badak, applies not only to Chavim, but to Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda would therefore say that if you didn't check and it's simply a case where you knew you were supposed to check and seek out this chametz but you did not do so you were derelict in your duties and so if you didn't do it the night before pesach then you should do it in the morning and if you didn't do it in the, and if you didn't do it in the morning so then you should do it right before pesach starts that's the opinion of rabbi Yehuda. the chachamim however say that if you didn't do it the night before then you should do it um all the way up until the time where you're supposed to burn and destroy the said chametz. However, the Chachamim ad, and where they end up saying, we have different interpretations of the Mishnah over here in our Gemara, but what we end up saying is that the question between Rabbi Huda and the Chachamim, and this is where we pick up, right, where we're going to say, three lines up from the bottom, of Yudam El Kaamar, what he's saying over here is Rabbi Yosef is explaining what is this machlokas that it hinges on the following debate. The chameitz was not checked. Okay? And now it's usser. So that is in fact the question we have. We know that we treat this chameitz as if it's nuclear waste, right? It's radioactive. We don't want to go near it because we don't trust ourselves around it, right? The flesh is weak and the Twinkies and the Meatball heroes are delicious. And so you truly have a conundrum. If you have already entered the Zman Isser, which is to say after the sixth hour on Erev Pesach, do we trust you, right? Do we trust ourselves at that point to go and still seek the Chametz in order to destroy it? Because don't forget, once Pesach starts, in addition to the fact that we are, that we have the Isser on the Chametz, we also have that's when the Tashbiz That's that's when the b'ayra and b'ay Matze, Right. It's a question of when all of these are going to start. But certainly, is it of any value? Right. Since some of these things Tashbizu, we're going to say when is when is when does that start? Does that start in the sixth hour? Does that start later? But certainly, when Pesach starts, all of that comes into effect, and we're only going to be eating the matzah. So the question is: Is there any value after the sixth hour in a, in going out and seeking the chametz further? Right. That, so, to that, right, uh, the Chachamim are gonna say that, that yes, that we're going to say, yes, still continue to seek the Chamates after the sixth hour. Whereas Rabbi Huda is concerned. He's gonna say, Basar Isura Lo, which means that once you've passed the sixth hour, it's already better off just to avoid it. Just to try to avoid it and to not look for it, because you have to be careful what you, Look for, care for what you wish for. Were you to continue to search past the sixth hour, according to Behuda, then you might, in fact, find it. And if you find it, you don't know what you're going to end up doing with it. You can't trust you to not want to eat it. And it's already, at that point, after the sixth hour, it's already forbidden to eat. So it becomes really, and we're going to see on our daf, on Yud Aleph, that it becomes almost a question of human psychology, which Rabbi Safir my my Rebbe doesn't like, he's a Talmud of Rabbi Parnas, right? And they don't like when they have machlokas, it, what we call machlokas and mitzis, uh, you know, a controversy over what the human nature is. Because we know that Chazal, right, that the sages are very, very deliberate. And because they're very deliberate, they're not just going to conjecture and speculate on what human nature is. You know, at the very least, if you're going to make an, a, a statement of human nature, you're going to want to corroborate that with some study or something. Right. Um, and so these statements where it seems like speculation are very uncomfortable. You prefer to know that they're talking about some basis in in, in either the psukim, the verses or some basis uh, otherwise of, of a real logic. And so when you learn this more thoroughly, you have to figure out the underpinnings when you're learning in the method of Rabbi Parnas. But be that as it may, our Gemara is going to sound like basically um, discussions and dispute about what is the, going to be the human nature. Right. Around these kinds of uh, around these kinds of isurim, around these kinds of prohibitions. Do do we say, well, if the prohibition is too hot to handle, are we going to say that you're better off just avoiding it, and not looking for it or not? So let's see how that plays out. Very, very interesting Gemara, to look forward to. So here we go. So, says the Gemara. So, this final interpretation is, is to say, um, just like we said before, before Rabbi Huda made it sound like we check it three separate times, <laughs> Rabbi uh, Shalom Razna, the great Dafiomi master, explained that it's almost like establishment of a Chazakah, right? Because when you check something three times, why would you go back and check something three, time and time again? If you checked and you didn't see it, it's not, it's gonna reappear. So, it's like establishing a Chazakah that it's not there. Okay. But be that as it may, at this point in the Gemara, we already say that it's not really that you're going to check three times. Rather, just like the language of the Chachamim suggests, Rabbi Yehuda is also going to say that it's just referring to three separate times that we still encourage you to check for the Chachamim if you had not done so up to that point. And says the Gamarva Baalkamifligi. And therefore the Machlokas, as we just described, between Rehuda and the sages, is Marsavar. The Rabbi Yehuda holds that Mikame Esura in Basar Esura Lo. That before the time of Isir, which is the sixth hour, right, you should certainly go and search as much as you can. But afterwards, you should already f- stop searching for it. Why? There it is, right? We have a decree of, of, of the sages that because if you're going to find it, you careful what you wish for, because if you find it, the flesh is weak, you might not be able to resist eating it, and we don't want to take that chance, so you're better off just not looking for it altogether. V'rabonan savri lo Rinan. And the sages, Chazal, said Lo Gazrina, that we're not going to make such a decree that no matter what, we're still going to let you search it. I'll give it away a little bit that basically the point of view of the Rabbanon is that it's very different between finding something incidentally um, at, that, at which point you are susceptible to maybe wanting to eat it Or when you're on a search and destroy mission, right? When your attitude, and it's an interesting idea, when your attitude is to search and destroy, and you don't find, then, then you're not like, as likely, right, to end up succumbing to the, right, temptation of it, right? Because after all, you're going into it with a different attitude. We'll see. The Gemara is actually going to bring that as the point of their abundance. But first, it's going to kick around a a couple of ideas, which are as follows. According to what we've said until now, it sounds like Rabbi Yehuda, Right is concerned uh, uh, about the human nature, right, of us around something that's usser. Right, it's concerned that if you have a prohibition around, that you're going to cave to that to, to your desires, and the rabbanon are more, so to speak, right, trusting uh, of the person, and they're going to say, no, keep searching for it, for if you'll find it, you'll destroy it. So the Gemara asks, well, that seems to contradict something that we say see elsewhere. Says the Gemara, gaza yudha, dilma And does Rabbi Yehuda, in general, make such a decree out of concern that the person who finds something is going to eat it? That's But we learned in a totally different context. In the Mishnah in Menachos, where we discuss the, um, right, the carb, the carb, uh, carbonos, Mishikara Omer, so, when you, when they used to bring the Korban Omer, What's going on here? So we know that in the days of, uh, that the Torah says that Mimacharas HaShabis, which really means the day after Yontiv, right, you're supposed to bring the Korban Omer. The Korban Omer, um, was the time, right, where after the Korban Omer, all of the previous grains can now be eaten. Right? There's, there's an, a problem with Chadash, that anything that grew after that Corban Omer is not supposed to be eaten until the following Corban Omer, which is brought once a year, which is the day after Pesach. Happens to be that the Tzeduki and the Sadducees, when they read Mimacharasa Shabbos, when they read that verse, they thought that it always needs to be brought on a Sunday. Okay? We didn't think that. Why am I bringing this up? Because the Mishnah and Menachas that we're quoting right now discusses that we had, as in anticipation of the Corban Omer, there was great fanfare. And we would bring out, right, in the Shukah Yerushalayim, in the marketplaces of Jerusalem, we would bring out all the flour and the dried grain, right, from the, from the new crop, because in anticipation of when we were going to bring that Korban Omer, after which that new crop was allowed to be eaten, right, we would have this festival so that as soon as that Korban was brought, everybody would, would, would start eating the Yashon, which is what we try to do even today, Bizman and even in Chutz Laaretz, it's, it's the the sources indicate that we should. Not as many people are machped on that, and there's a lot of literature, right, trying to explain why we don't do that. Uh, why many, many Jews, the majority of Jews, for centuries, have not been able to be machped on that outside of of Israel. In Eretz Israel itself, it's hard to find uh, chadash. Right? Everybody is but in America it's a lot less common, but it's still, obviously a lot of people are are very uh, serious about it. Anyway, so here's what's interesting. We are, clearly we're in the as we finally arrive on Yudalif um w- what's interesting is you have the Omer, you, you have the what? The grain, and you have all of these things in the Shuki Yerushalayim, and yet it sounds like nobody's concerned that you're going to eat it, right? The Korban Omer has yet, not yet been brought. And so is Rabbi Yehuda going to say that, it, uh, that, that he's not concerned that you're going to eat it? Look at this. It says, as we turn to Yudalif from Mudalif, it says, Shalom mm-hmm. Birzon Chachamim, Hein Osin Diva Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir, who we assume is like the Chachamim, Kastam Mishnah's Rabbi Meir, did not like that practice of starting to set up, right, the kiosks filled with the, with the Chadash, uh, prior to the bringing of the Omer, because he was concerned that people are going to eat it, and there, look at this. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Chachamim Hayu Osin. Oh, Rabbi Yehuda loved this. He said that this was sanctioned, and therefore, Velo Velo Dilma Why is it that in our Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda is concerned? He's not going to let you seek and destroy chametz because he fears you're going to eat it, and yet, it, when it came to the Yashan, he was he was allowing you to set up this kiosk with delicious Yashan. Right in anticipation of the carbonomer, and he's not concerned that you're going to eat that. So how are we going to reconcile this contradiction with Rabbi Huda? So the Gemara answers, Amar Abba, Shaini Chadash. The two prohibitions are different, and we're going to see this is going to go on throughout the Daf that we're going to see uh, speculation, or not speculation, but just setting down rules of what does and what doesn't tempt people. What's what makes Chadash different? Because Chadash is permitted, right? But uh, in to be harvested in a very different kind of way, whereas all other kinds of grain, you know, you harvest like a regular farmer. This you can only do it by hand, plucking the stalks, and therefore it's very obvious to you that you are dealing with something different than regular grain, and therefore you are not going to be then. Therefore, you're not you are not going to be tempted, or at least in your mind, you are going to see it. You are going to be able to compartmentalize it, and and you are going to realize that this is not for you. And because of the fact that it's harvested differently, who's Zachar? The individual is going to remember that this is prohibited and he's going to be careful not to eat from that grain. And that's why, unlike Twinkies and Subway and and meatball heroes that are always typically around, and therefore if you seek it, you just may, out of reflex and instinct, eat it, this chadash, you treat it differently from the time that you pluck it from the ground. Therefore, Rabbi Yehuda there is not concerned that you're going to eat it. However, the Gemara challenges the Amr Baye abaye Abaye says back to, there's a Gersa here, whether it's Rav or Rabbah, let's say that it's Rabbah. Abayah answers k'tifa. okay, so I understand that at the time that you 're plucking it you 're not going to eat the grain, however yeah, but then once you 're grinding it and you 're sifting it and doing the, follow, the subsequent stages of the bread preparation, so then it already is like any other wheat, and then what are you going to say that at that stage you 're also aware of the fact that it 's different so Gemara answers that 's not a question and gabenafa. that in fact even the grinding. And the sifting has to be done as opposed to, right, professional industrial grinding, you're doing hand mill. And, and, and even the sieve itself of sifting is being done backwards, meaning that this idea that you have to treat khadash totally differently uh, applies not only to the harvesting where you're plucking it by hand, but even to the processing of it when you're grinding and you're sifting it. Okay. So now Ba'y challenges Rabbi's answer from a different way. Elahad, it's not okay. But we learned in the Mishnah, kotsrin Beis We did learn in the Mishnah in the same area in Menachos that we are allowed back to the harvesting stage we bet we are allowed when we're reaping and harvesting that in the basashlochin be'amakim in the fields and the valleys we're not going to ask you to pluck it there we're going to say that there we're allowing you to harvest it almost like regular avalo gochin we're not allowed to stack it before the omer but we are in fact allowed to reap it in the normal way so not stacking it is because, again, because it's Chadash. But we're allowed to reap it in the, in, in the normal way. So aren't we going to get confused? Are we going to be susceptible to eating the Chadash? And not only that, but in that Mishnah, we said that this idea that you're allowed to harvest in the normal way is in fact, right, proposed by Rabbi Yehuda who is the very Rabbi Yehuda, who, who in our Mishnah is concerned with the eating of the chametz? So why, again, is he concerned with the eating of the chametz, but not concerned that we're going to be susceptible to eating the Yashan? So how are we going to reconcile this? So Abaye has a totally different answer as follows. El Amar Abaye, he says, Chadash bid'l lo bid'l That simply, Chadash is something that what? That you're avoiding all year, right? From the time that the new crop... You, Emerges, you have become habituated to not touch the chadash. That is part of your like culture, so to speak, right? And but but that's and it's true. You'll say, well, chametz also, Twinkies. We're habituated not to eat on Pesach. You might say that, but Pesach is a very short period of time, right? You only have those seven days, and so in a, so and so, it's much harder to avoid the Chametz because you're so habituated. It's such an instinct when you see a Twinkie to eat it right away that that's that's what it means when it says Chametz lo A person's not never, never too detached from their Chametz because they're always tempted to have it. It's always instinctive when you see it to eat it. But Chadash, like most of the year or half the year, you're used to avoiding it, and therefore you're habituated to that, and that is why Rebuta is not concerned that you're going to end up tripping up and eating it, and that's the difference between Chadash and Chamez. Okay. The Gemara ever asks, Amarava, Abba, Rebihudah, Rebihuda Kasha. Still, we're going to have an internal contradiction of Rebuta. How so? Um, well, no, that one we actually um, reconciled. But is it only a problem with Rehuda Rehuda? There are Banana, there are low Kasha? We have a Kasha, there are there also, because after all, don't forget, there are in our... Right, are, also have opinions in both Mishnahists that are going to contradict each other. The Rabbanan and our Mishnah, they're not concerned. With regards to the Chomets, they're not concerned. right? But when it came to the, right, the uh, kiosks in Jerusalem of the Chadash, there they were concerned. So how are you going to resolve? We resolve the contradiction within the Rebunan. How are we going to resolve the contradiction within the Rabbanan? So the Raba therefore, adds as follows. The internal contradiction within the Rebunan we already just answered. That's what we already learned that, right, that, that, Badilamine versus Lobadilamine, that we're just more accustomed to staying away from Chadash. And that's why that's a lad. However, the Rabbanon, the Rabbanon, Nami Lokasha, we also can, um, resolve the contradiction within the Rabbanon. Why? Who? Atzma mechazer Mechal And this is what we had mentioned before, that the Rabbanon have the concept that, that the attitude of seeking the schamets is in fact to seek and destroy He himself is going after it to what? To burn it, to destroy it. What? So when he finds it, he's going he's gonna to eat it? No. Says the are and they're not concerned with regards to chametz because we know how severe the right the prohibition of chametz is and therefore when we search it it's going to be a seek and destroy mission that is going to be our attitude such that even when we see the twinkie we're never we're not going to look at it as something irresistible we're going to look at it as something that we have come to destroy and therefore the the Rabbanon are not concerned you see that Goranowitz, the muslim moment it's all in the mind it's all in the mind it's all in your mindset okay Ravashi Omar, another way, uh, another way, Ravashi has another way of reconciling Rabbi Huda's, uh, right, uh, conundrum over here. Uh, his contradiction as follows. Uh, he says a different thing, that the reason why Rabbi Huda is concerned about chametz but not concerned about Yashon is because the new grain is just talking about un- inedible things, right? Raw things, flour and oven dried grain. And really, those are the goods that were sold in the, in the market. And therefore, while those things should not be eaten, there's really much less of a temptation. And therefore, they're not anywhere near as delicious as chametz, And that's why it's not a problem. Okay. However, the Gemara rejects this very much. Hadar of Ashi Bedusahi. Whether it's Bedusa or Bedura, whether it means that it's a joke or fiction or it can't be that he said this, the Gemara is very dismissive of this opinion. That's, by, that's, as indicated by saying, ha, bedusahi. So you say, wait, ha, tenach, mikali, velach, because this answer, Ravashi, only makes sense from the time it becomes oven dried, right? But mikara ad but what about in the beginning of the harvest when it's before it's made inedible and it's soft and delicious? Ma'ikal ma'amar, we're always going to say there. So the Gemara first tries to save this answer and says, Maybe you're going to say, no, that he has the reason uh, as earlier, that it's that because it's hand-plucked, maybe that's okay. Like Rabbi earlier suggested, so we say no. No, we already know. We already said that they could be harvested regularly um, back in the in the irrigated fields and valleys. And we establish like How are you going to? Say that this shot makes any sense. How are you going to say that, that, that it's just because it's in the Kemach and Kali stage, it's already in the Barossa stage, says the Gemara therefore concludes, Ravashi Badusahi. It must be that this was some sort of hiccup or, or a fiction. This was not something that, that he could have said, and therefore, um, or it's an outer thing, and therefore it's not relevant to our discussion. Okay. So now we're going to return to, to, to Abaya's answer. The Ba'ye therefore answers right in the middle of Yudal from Yudal. The Mi Gaza Rabbi Yehuda, is it really true that? Again, what do we say about Rabbi Huda? We said, according to Rabbi Huda, that when a person is habituated to eating it something, just like he is with Twinkies, uh, that Rabbi Huda is, goes there, he doesn't trust you around that stuff, and for that reason, he doesn't want you to continue to seek the Chametz. But is that true, that every time you have something that you're habituated to, Rabbi Huda is going to have you seek it? It says, Lo Yikov Adam Shofer A person, where, where is this from? Bame Madlikin. Right, the we know that, uh, we said that there's zalacha, you're not supposed to, um, have light with the olive oil in such a way where you have the eggshell perforated right into the olive oil. We said, Rashi explains over there by Mehmedlikin that to take out olive oil is an iser of malacha of kiboy of, of extinguishing the flame. To add oil would be an iser malacha of Havara of lighting a flame, right? That in itself is a big discussion over there in Bem Madlikin. But be that as it may, assuming that it, you're not allowed to add flame, or add oil, or take away oil, there was a um, we we said. Right in that Mishnah in Bamemad Likin, the following that's not said: the Mishnah Lo Yikov Adam A person can't take this perforated eggshell with the oil malena Shemen and fill it with oil v'Hitnena and then place it alongside right the lamp Tefet. Right, in order to set up this apparatus so that the oil feeds the lamp And this is even true if the lamp is made of earthenware. What's the issue here? If the lamp is made of earthenware, it's going to be even more disgusting and therefore you're going to be less likely to eat that oil. However, despite that, we're still concerned you're going to eat the oil. So the Chachamim are still concerned you're going to eat the oil, and therefore, because they're concerned by that, they're not going to let you set up this apparatus altogether because we don't want you to have oil that's not uh, that's that's just sitting there because you're so habituated to drinking the oil. And therefore, you're going to inadvertently violate this uh, this uh, sort of putting out the flame. By association. However, amazingly, over there in Babimadlikin, Matir. So despite the regularity of drinking olive oil, Yehuda over there is going to allow you to make this setup of setting up the oil. So why is he concerned about chametz, but not concerned about olive oil? So Gamar answers, the Shabbos Amazingly. Because it's a Shabbos, it's a Shabbos itself is what? Something that comes every week. We're habituated to the Yisurim of Shabbos. And therefore, because of the of Shabbos, he's going to be concerned and he's going to uh, be more disciplined to not drink that oil. Uh, but the Gemara says, no, but even within Shabbos itself, we have a contradiction. Verami, de Shabbos, the Shabbos. We have an internal contradiction with Shabbos. Why the Tanya? Because we learn in the Brai's, uh, if you have the rope of a, of a bucket, and it's snapped. We know that there's a prohibition of tying knots on Shabbos. So he says, you shouldn't tie the knot at the torn ends of the rope, right? Because that's oser. Ela onvo. But you can tie it with a bow, and that's what it says over there in Masechah Shabbos. However, you might remember this from Mosechel Shabbos, that you can make, you can take a hollow belt or a garter, and you could do that. Ulvad Shaloyan Venu. Rabbi there doesn't allow you to tie it with a bow. So again, the Chacham there says, make a bow. Rabbi Huda doesn't even allow you a bow. He wants you to take a different, right, like a belt altogether in order to totally avoid this Yisr. So it sounds over there like what? We're taking it into more general, right? Not just about eating, but when you have a situation, are you going to be able to, right, keep your wits about you, to have the presence of mind to not, tie a knot, right? You want to use this bucket to draw the water. Can, or do we trust you to tie a bow instead of a knot? Rabbi Huda doesn't trust it, and the Chachamim do trust it. What, so therefore, how is that? Right? When it comes to the oil, Rabbi Yehuda does trust you to set up the apparatus of the oil and the Chachabim don't. So what, how are we making these decisions? So the Gemara answers, no, these are two different scenarios. Because there are Lokasha, there are Lokash Hashem, B'Shem, Michlaf, even B'Kshir, lo Michlaf. There, that's You're mixing apples and oranges. These are two cases. Again, the first case was, are we gonna let you set up an oil apparatus, a lamp apparatus, or are we concerned you're gonna drink the oil and thus uh, violate the prohibition of lighting or extinguishing a flame? The Arbonne think that you actually might because when you see that Perforated egg filled with oil, who can resist that? You're going to drink it because you're very habituated to it. However, tying a bow versus tying a knot, that's something that you are used to. Whoever ties a knot on Shabbos, you know that you're not going to tie that knot. You're used to tying your shoes in a different way on Shabbos. You're not going to tie a knot with, we're not concerned about that. Again, speculation as to, not speculation, but like we're, we're saying, what are people's tendencies, okay? And Rabbi Yehuda, the Rabbi Yehuda Lokasha, what about Rabbi Yehuda, who allows you to drink the oil but doesn't let you tie a bow? So tie a no, so this is not really, a, according to Rabbi Huda, it's not even a conversation about whether you're going to be disciplined enough to tie a bow instead of a knot. Rather, Ah, this is Rabbi Huda consistent with himself. We said this in Shabbos, and we repeated it also at the very end of Erevin, less than two weeks ago. That what? The Rabbi Huda holds that, in fact, the bow is a type of knot that is prohibited. If the bow itself is prohibited, so then the the right the issue of why Rabbi Huda doesn't let you tie the bow is not because he's afraid that you're going to end up tying the knot. This has nothing to do with the human tendency to lose your mind and and start tying knots. It just simply he holds that the bow is as prohibited as the knot is, and it's for that reason that he answers that he prohibits tying the bow. Okay, okay, another contradiction. V'rami rabbanon with regards to Shabbos. D'tnan kosher and so we're still sticking with this tying for, right, tying, tying something for this bucket, right? So the, the, the Mishnah said that you the, the Chazal are going to only allow you to use a regular, that you could use a garter, which is not really exactly a rope, right? And if you cannot use a regular rope, so you could use you could not up a, right, a garter, but not a rope. Okay, because that's not a real knot. You can't really make a knot with that so well. Rebihuda Matir. Rebihuda is gonna allow tying even a rope. Now, in this case we're talking about Kesha shel Kayama versus Keshash kayama. Because we know that if you're gonna tie a knot with something that by definition you're gonna untie later, so that it's gonna be uh, a right a knot that doesn't last and therefore that's not really tying a knot, and maybe that would be okay. So the Gemara says, wait a minute, Khavaldamai, what kind of rope are we saying? Here, if you're going to say like an ordinary, regular rope, Rabbi Huda Matir, it's impossible that that's what we're talking about because Rabbi Huda would never let you tie it, even if you plan on untying it. That's like, that's literally Shira. That's tying a knot that's going to be totally Yasser. Nobody would allow that. Rather, as the Gemara says, The knot is permanent, right? And he's certainly going to forget it. I mean, nobody would say that that's allowed. El Pshita de Garde in this case is referring to a weaver's rope. It's a kind of rope that it's not really used in a well. Either uh, according to some opinions, it's too weak. According to other opinions, the weaver is always asking back for his rope. It's a very much a makeshift right um temporary measure. And therefore, it must be that we're talking about that rope. The Cheval de Alma. And basically, the dispute between the Rabbanu and Rabbi Huda there is simply right this idea um that we're going to have a prohibition, right, about this rope, because it's too similar to a different kind of rope, we don't want to get you confused. But, okay, so says the Gemara, um, is that really true that the, that the Chazal are going to be concerned about this weaver's rope? After all, they only allow aniva. They're only going to allow a bow. So the Gemara says, in, yes, because it's, it, it, because after all, Again, the Chazal are going to say the abundant are going to say that we're going to let you tie a bow. Okay, so what is it? We're concerned that we're going. We're concerned that if you do a certain rope, you're not allowed to use it. But if you're, go- but we're still going to let you allow. We're still going to allow you to tie a bow. So right. So the Rabbana seem inconsistent. Like if they're not concerned that you're going to confuse this so this weaver's be- um, rope with a regular rope, but they are concerned. Right. They, they are concerned about that, rather. But they're not concerned that if we let you tie a bow, that you're going to end up tying a knot. So, wh- how are they consistent? So the Gemara simply sorts it out as follows. In, indeed, it's true. Because you can confuse, right, the weaver's rope with the regular rope. And therefore, we are going to make a categorical, um, halacha that we're not going to let you use any kind of rope. However, aniva lo But they still maintain that the anatomy of a bow and the anatomy of a different knot is so different that we're not concerned that you can get those confused. Okay. Now, we, back to this idea of Rabbi's explanation of Rabbi Yehuda as follows. That Okay, so we discussed the idea of does Rabbi Yehuda, uh, is he concerned every time that you're habituated to do something? And we brought examples in Shabbos where he's not concerned, and we said why Shabbos is different from Chametz. However, what, what about the second side of that? The, the other side of that coin. That when something is in fact, uh, removed from you, and you have the mindset that it, that it's not habituated, in those cases, the Rebbe is always going to allow, as he does in the case of Chadash. So, we have some contradictions to that as well. The Hatanya, we saw in the Bechor This is your Bechor animal. Okay, and it looks like there's some sort of, in those days, there's some sort of situation, right, you're supposed to be because you're supposed to give it to the Kohen, right, but you can't offer it if there's some sort of blemish, so you're not supposed to blemish it, you're not supposed to be allowed to do that, however, you're seeing that this thing is going to die, you're not allowed to create, right, a blemish on it, but so we said, even if you think, even if it's gonna die, if you leave it as is, to its, uh, on its own, let nature do its cause, its, its course, in makizin lodam. We're not gonna allow you to bloodlet it. Right? To, to, and, uh, to, in order to, to heal it. Cause they thought that letting out the blood was going to be, uh, is going to, uh, be healing it. So, but we say that you can't blemish this animal. So, we're not letting you do bloodletting for this animal. There is a way of doing it properly where you don't create a blemish uh, by definition. But we are concerned that you're not going to do it correctly, so we're not going to let you do it altogether, even if it means losing the animal. say yes, you can let blood... Right, so it's a very interesting thing. You're doing a sort of procedure on the animal, and there seems to be a dispute between Rihuda and the Chachamim as to whether we trust you to do the procedure properly in a way to avoid a blemish. That's the idea, right? Because if you're going to ab- avoid the blemish, right, then then you can give it to the Kohen. Okay, so that's so that's the issue here. So there, what's going on? Huda is not allowing you. Even though what? This seems to be something that you would think is, in fact, detached from you. This isn't something that you're so, that's so habitual. So the Gemara is no. Hassam, there in the case of a Khor, there's a different reason why Rabbi Huda doesn't trust you to do the surgical procedure. Why? We talk to Adam, Bahul al As We turn to Yudal from Abades. We say a person is sometimes not in their right mind when it comes to money. People get strange with money, and here there is the possibility of losing a tremendous amount of money because the animal is about to die and so in a state of panic he's trying to save the animal and that's a big financial loss he's trying to save the animal in a state of panic and therefore we don't trust him to do this procedure right we're gonna say if you let him make the incision in a place where it's not gonna be a mum and it's gonna be fine he might come to make the incision in a different way just out of panic And therefore, he's going to, in fact, create a moment. That's why we don't let him touch the animal, even at the peril of the animal's death. We're not going to let him touch it because we don't trust him around this animal to do the procedure because of the tremendous loss of money that the animal's loss would represent. So, why are the Rabbana not concerned? Because verabanan kol Shikane, the ilo sharis leklalasi lemevod. Certainly, if you don't, so we say it's an unbelievable. It's a machlokus again about psychology that. The, that we're going to say the Rabbi Huda doesn't let him do the incision because he's afraid if we let him do the incision, even though he could theoretically do it properly, he's going to lose his mind and do it improperly in a panic. Chachamim say, no, let him do the incision. Why? Because Kul Shakane, because we don't let him do the incision at all, Asilamevat. They're just going to go in and really do it when you're not supposed to do it. And that we certainly don't want to do. So again, it's like, when, which scenario is he more likely to violate right, this issue? of making the incision. If you allow him to do it uh, in in the proper way, or if you don't allow him to do it more. So that's like a psychological, looks like a human psychology machlokas over there. Okay. Now the Gemara says, Is it really true that Rabbi Yehuda has this concern that a human being is so concerned about his money that he's gonna get into a panic and he's going to make an improper incision? creating a blemish in the animal, that's non. we already learned in the Mishnah, right? that you can't comb an animal right, with a metal comb on because we know that when you do it with a metal comb, some hairs are going to pluck out and also it's going to create a wound. And that is an Isser on Shabbos of Chabura. So we can't comb the animal. Aval mekartzefim. But you can use a wooden comb, which is, has much bigger teeth. It's, much, it's, it's not a fine comb. And that we're going to allow because it doesn't make a wound. He's not going to let you use the metal or the wood. Okay? And we have a braisa. What's considered kidur and what's considered kirtsuf? katanin vosin chabura, as we just said. That kidor is when it's thin, fine teeth that, that make a wound. And kirtsuf gadolin ve'en osin chabura. And, and the kirtzuf is when you use the big teeth that are, right, it's like a comb with very, very, it's not a fine-tooth comb, it's a very, very coarse, and therefore it's not going to create a wound. So we see that Behuda allows you to comb with a wooden comb, unlike the Chachamim, right, even though this is going to preserve the animal's health and it's going to have monetary ramifications because the animal doesn't do well when it's got caked mud and it's not groomed. And yet we're going and then Ruby Huda doesn't think that you're going to be so uptight about your money and so concerned that you're going to panic and, and start ripping out hairs with the comb. So why is it here that Ruby Huda is not concerned about that? And in the, right, and in the case of the surgical procedure, they are concerned. So the Gemara simply answers, the Ishavik le Well, in the case of the Bihar, with the surgical procedure, if you don't do the procedure, the animal will actually die. He'll lose it entirely. Uh, there, bahul amamono. it is there the Rebihuda is going to be concerned that the human being is, the flesh is weak, he's going to be too panicked about his money that he's going to do an improper procedure. However, yeah, over here, if you don't comb the animal, it's just going to be, there's really not as much at stake. That's just the animal doesn't, uh, let's say, perform in shows or whatever. The animal not going to be as happy, but the animal ultimately will survive it, and you can just do it after Shabbos. And therefore, that's really not a situation where we're concerned about this monetary panic. And that's why Rebbe Huda allows it in that case. So the Gemara therefore asks Rebbe Huda, gabi chametz to gazzer, maishna gabi kirtziv to lo So going back, bringing, circling it all the way back to the chametz. Why is it that he's that he's saying not to search for the chametz after it's Aser, whereas opposed to the right the wooden comb, which he doesn't have that kind of concern? Okay. So the Gemara answers: "Lechem Belechem because after all. We're so incredibly habituated to eating hametz, delicious Twinkies and all the, and all the rest on uh, during the year that it's simply a case of it's, it's a high likelihood that you're going to slip up and instinctively eat it when you find it. However, however, doing this combing with the wooden comb versus the fine comb, well, the habituation there, it's not confusing at all. It's very, it's very common to do one or the other, depending on what your objective is with that comb. We have a couple more minutes. We're at the Mishnah on and Bays. It's actually a good place to stop because that Mishnah goes real, real fast. But we'll just start by talking about what the discussion is in the Mishnah. It's a very interesting um, topic that we're bringing into our topic of the hours. As follows, Rabbi Meir Omer Ochlin Kol We're talking now about what. The prohibition of when eating comments begins. So I'll just give a an introduction. That we know that you're not allowed to eat when you when you can't eat chametz anymore. Midar Raisa is in the sixth hour. However, midar Abanan, right? We're going to have a machlokas here. Rabbi Meir, Omer, Ochlin Kol, kol Chametz. You can eat chametz the entire fifth hour and then sorfim betchilas sheish, and then you burn at the beginning of the sixth hour. Whereas Rabbi Yehuda, Omer, Ochlin Kol Arba beton Kol Chametz sorfim betchilas sheish. So you have a machlokas where Rabbi Yehuda wants you to wait longer. Right, an additional hour, it seems, where you don't eat it, where he wants you to stop eating. Uh, the, he's going to let you eat it the entire fourth hour, but then the entire fifth hour, we want that chametz to be hanging there like a matzah ball, as it were, in abeyance and then sort from and then burn it at the beginning of the sixth hour and the discussion in the Gemara amazingly that's going to carry us from Yud'al from Bays all the way past onto Bays that we have to look forward to tomorrow is a discussion having to do with capital punishment what does it have to do with capital punishment we want witnesses to give testimony on the same day right and we're going to be interrogating each one of them separately to corroborate that their stories match up and then the question is going to be, well, the stories are going to give. One's going to say there was a certain hour. The other one's going to say there was another hour. What, in fact, is the margin of error for the time management in your mind of what you recall the time being? And we're going to try to apply that to the machlokas over here as to the margin of error uh, that, we al- that the chazal are going to allow in the eating of the chametz in anticipation of the isser on Erev Pesach. Yeah.